welcome to the latest episode of Short Box Summary. I am your host, George. Joining me again, my very good friend, Fabio. Fabio, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I was invited to this secret party. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this is. And uh, I'm very curious to see what the fuck we're doing here right now. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I tried recording this episode by myself and uh, felt a little empty. So I thought I'd bring a friend on. And we are going to talk about a story called Thin Air. It appeared in a comic series called The Pulse. Fabio, you like Marvel, you like comics, you like these characters. Have you ever heard of a book called The Pulse? Um, I've heard of The Pulse only because of uh, you. Wait, is this a comic within a comic? Is this like Pirates and Watchmen? No, this is not like Pirates and Watchmen. This is a... That's all right. Uh, This is The Pulse. The Pulse is... A story about the Daily Bugle and the people who work at the Daily Bugle in the. Oh, York. that's not what I thought Pulse was about. I thought it was a Jessica Jones book. It sort of is. It's starring oh. Jessica Jones. Okay. And we're going to jump into it in just a second. <laughs> I probably First know thing. the whole fucking plot, George. <laughs> yeah. I know I've what's going on seasons. right now. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that show. Yeah. <laughs> I even watched Iron Fist. I know what's up. <laughs> not very much of it. It was like an episode and a half. It was bad. Yeah, it sucks too because the comic was really good. Um, all right, so we're jumping into the pulse, and this first arc is called Thin Air. It's a five-issue story. Issue one came out February eighteenth, two thousand four. So just for a little context, the three top performing movies at the box office when this issue released were Fifty First Dates, Adam Sandler Drew Barrymore rom com, mm-hmm. Miracle. Disney sports movie about the 1980s men's Olympic hockey team. I've seen the fucking poster, I guess, on Disney. Plus. Oh my god, it's like Aaliyah's favorite movie. She I just loves her Brooks. She loves hockey. Okay. Oh god, it's it's on Disney Plus. It's really good. I recommend it if you got a second. And uh, number three was Barbershop 2 Back in Business, starring mm-hmm. Ice Cube, Cedric the Entertainer, Eve, and Queen Latifah. It's like if Seinfeld were in a barbershop. Kind of, In a yeah. movie fucking movie about nothing isn't it i don't remember that movie <laughs> i never like... actually saw i never saw barbershop too i saw okay. the first barbershop that was like prime plane movie it was a great plane movie it was okay barbershop one i didn't know that that was a category but anyway yeah proceed <laughs> uh number one song on the billboard was yeah by usher Lil john ludicrous wow. just moved up to number one and csi was the most watched show in the middle of its third season third what are they yeah. in now? I feel like you know this. They got up to season 15, I think, and then That's the show it. ended, and then they just had like a anniversary reunion season, like a little 10 episode mini okay. season series that was actually pretty good, where like it framed an old lab technician of uh, faking a whole bunch of evidence. Now, do all these seasons comprise of every spinoff variant of CSI? No, or it doesn't. separate? Those are separate. Those oh, there's goddamn like 80, 80 seasons. Yeah, that's, that's, there's all, yeah. CSI Miami. There's CSI Cyber. Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of things. Um, so February wow, 18th. What a weird time, dude. Yeah. Oh, it's about to get weirder. Uh, 16 days before this issue came out, the Patriots beat the Panthers 32-29 in a Super Bowl that no one would remember for any reason other than Justin Timberlake exposing Janet Jackson's breast during the halftime show. There it is. I knew exactly which one you were talking about. 
There it is, yeah. Uh, wardrobe malfunction, when we learn that phrase. It's not a malfunction. No, it wasn't. Um, no, he just exposed her breasts to everyone and, like, ruined her career. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And uh, four <laughs> days after this issue came out, Sex and the City would air on HBO its final episode before it was revived this year in a fashion. We're just going to uh... go ahead and call underwhelming. We're just going to leave it there. Yep. I got nothing to say about it. All right. Um, you might be familiar with some of the talent that was working on this book. This book was written by Brian Michael Bendis, who wrote Avengers Disassembled and wrote Secret War. Yeah, I know Bendis. Yeah, you and Bendis go way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to when we uh, sat down and listened to government officials tell us sweet stories on their lap. That's right. Yeah. It was drawn by Mark Bagley, who I don't know if you know. Uh, no, he... I don't know. He sounds like he's from the Shire, though. I don't know. Who the and and uh, Inker Scott Hanna. Uh, and so those three people either. worked together on a book called Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, okay, okay. So, it, like, that's, like, it's interesting, because that was, like, pretty much a staple for, for in my brain for, like, 90s comics. Like, I wasn't allowed to buy all the comics, but I remember seeing a lot of comics, and, like, Ultimate Spider-Man was, like, a very distinct look that, like, cemented in its time of, like, their early Yeah, I started, I started buying Ultimate Comics not because I was, like, interested in the stories. I just thought the covers were so cool. And, like, not even the covers, but, like, the layout for the covers, like... The font for the series, like the logo for the series, the yeah. um, they were all like framed where there was like uh, bars basically on the right and left side of the cover. And so everything was just like really interestingly framed, like in the center of the book. I just thought it looked really cool. Spider-Man had wings now, George. He, he, had he had wings. wings. I mean, because Ultimate Spider-Man, he had like little webbings between his arms. They were like little, little wings, like little squirrel suits. Yeah, it, de- it depends on the artist. Some artists uh, draw that in like the main continuity, but not, okay. not every artist. All right. Well, maybe but that I think guy they... didn't cement my childhood. Then maybe it was somebody else. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so sorry to take that away from you. All right. Uh, that is what was going on around the time the issue came out. So without further ado, let's just jump into the issue. Uh, this opens with reporter Ben Urich thumbing through the latest issue of New York's most famous newspaper, The Daily Bugle. Cat Farrell's article asking if Spider-Man is a murderer or not is on the front page, discussing who's at fault for destruction and death in a midtown battle between Spider-Man and Doc Ock. And then we see buried on page 17C is Yurik's article talking about Yakuza presence in Hell's Kitchen. He walks away despondent when he sees what's become of his career. In Central Park at dawn, joggers jog past, and no one notices a body floating in the middle of a reservoir. An open-eyed Jessica Jones lays on a sleeping Luke Cage. She looks like she didn't sleep a wink. After forcing Luke awake, they both marvel at the fact that they're together. She's worried about screwing something up. She needs this to go well. She needs the insurance. And we have just no idea what the hell she's talking about. A hot dog vendor in the park finally notices something strange floating in the reservoir. And now we get to the main purpose of the series. Jessica walks through the lobby of the Daily Bugle, where she runs into editor-in-chief of the paper, Robbie Robertson, a friendly, welcoming man who walks her through the bullpen. She bumps into Ben and confides in him that she thinks she has a job interview with J. Jonah Jameson, but since the dude is such a wild card, she isn't really sure. Now, I want to hear your thoughts on this quote. Uh, She walks into... uh, J. Jonah Jameson's office, and he starts monologuing at her. He says, the newspaper business is a tough one, he says. I've been in the game my whole life, and boy, has it always been tough. But the last couple of years, well, it's been pretty tough all around. People don't read. 
People don't read like they used to, and we're supposed to be the voice of the city. Back in the day, it was a little easier to get their attention. But now, with the TV, the internet, the whole thing, well, it's tough. It's hard to give people what they think they want along with what you know they need. Mm-hmm. And that was in the year 2004. <laughs> okay. So I feel like um, just how, how much do you think we have to multiply that problem by to, to get where we are today? Um, I think there was a glaring uh, oversight that I just need to go back to. So you're telling me that the uh, hot dog stand guy, the one who is used to watching like these little fucking oblong things floating in the water is the guy who spotted the dead body floating in the pool. Well, he, he said, like, he, he notices something is, like... He's an expert! In, 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 <laughs> he's <laughs> a hot dog point. vendor, Fabio. <laughs> yeah, they, they boil hot dogs all day long. They just watch those little guys float. He's got an eye for it. Um, so, uh, yeah, J. Jonas Jadison's quote was spot on. I mean, like, so, so Bendis wrote this? Bendis wrote this. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty accurate portrayal of uh, of of modern day and I mean, all media of all time. It's just a fucking propaganda state of <laughs> of whatever's going on and, and deciding what people need to be fed and you know kind of directing the narrative. It's uh, manufacturing consent, as some people like to call it. So yeah, that's a very interesting, timely quote. I'm kind of surprised Bendis wrote it. Yeah, he, um, man, we're, there's another Jonah Jameson appearance in another Bendis book coming up that part of me wants, I don't know if you're going to read this book or not, but part of me at least wants you to read this story about like the new Avengers making the announcement that they're the new Avengers and like they're here to stay kind of deal. Mm. And like, Jam, they invite Jameson over because they know it's going to be a big deal because, uh, because Peter is like, Peter Parker is like on the Avengers and they know how much he, Jameson hates Peter Parker or like, uh, sorry, Spider-Man. So they did that to spite Spider-Man? No, 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 no. no. Oh, Sorry. okay. I'm, ge- I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm talking about okay, a, future, okay, okay. A, f- a future episode. But there's another, like, Jameson appearance written by Bendis, Bendis. showing up okay, in, like, the gotcha. mainstream MCU. And huh. now I want you to be there for that. It's, it's okay. a three-issue arc. It, <laughs> oh, we'll, 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 we'll squeeze you in. We'll squeeze you in. Okay. Uh, from there, Jameson goes on to say that he likes Jessica. His family likes Jessica because of events that happened in her own personal book, Alias, a.k.a. Jessica Jones. And given her past as a hero, he's reconsidered his opinions on the community, which he at large doesn't trust, doesn't like, and doesn't respect. Quote, it seems that my feeling that these superheroes are sociopath vigilantes with serious issues with authority may not be the popular opinion in the city. People want their heroes and they'll look anywhere to get them, even to people who wear masks. And at this point, with readership where it is, I do have to consider that my personal disdain for them and what they represent is now hurting my paper. I have to do something different. So basically the the premise is that people are starting to like heroes is like the, 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 the image, their image kind of going on a, getting a better, better light. Like what's the, yeah, that's, that's the weird thing about comics is I feel like despite their extended history, every comic has to read like it's someone's first sort of like toe dipping into the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. And so you'd think like, you know, like in your head, you're like, oh, well, these comics have been around for 40 years. Surely like the the Marvel Universe has warmed up to the idea of heroes. And like, that's kind of not true. Like they always sort of operate under the premise that like these heroes have only been operating for like five years or less. Like it's always like still like a relatively new thing to the, the universe at large. Yeah. In these comics. 
And I think like even in the, I'll just state the MCU, not anything before that. In the MCU, heroes are generally well-liked. Yeah. Like they're, they're pretty much like get like, you know, parades and you like, if you even like be Spider-Man parades and shit like that, you know, like, so um, yeah, I guess the comics are a little bit different. Cause I know that's from some of the ones that I've read. Um, they don't really have the same situation. I mean, some of the, even the episodes we've done, you know, they don't have the same type of um, recognition or uh, respect that like you would expect them to from the right. general public just because of all the fucking chaos they cause <laughs> well that and it's super weird too because like as a kid i never really understood the mutant metaphor because mm. like i always thought it'd be cool if i had a friend who could shoot concussive lasers out of his eyes i'm just like oh yeah. that's that's more neat than it is scary yeah and now with like all this like mass shootings that happen all the time i'm like oh that's way less scary like are you kidding me like someone can shoot non-lethal lasers out of out of their their face like oh that's so much cooler than like i don't know someone just pulling a gun out at a concert or a movie theater or a grocery store or wherever a mass shooting has happened in the past week so maybe we allowed the light the laser-eyed people to go around and do things and protect us is that is that yeah the... the only the only person who can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a uh, laser eyes yeah I think that's in the Geneva Convention. It's actually yeah, like mean, the only way feels, it's allowed. That yeah, feels right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, from there, JJ offers Jess a job. They're starting a weekly section huh. of the paper called The Pulse, where they will report on superheroes. Quote, everything from the big stories to the social stuff. Profiles, current events, headlines, and exclusive in-depth reporting of larger ongoing stories. Not that shoot-and-cut crud the networks run every time some Chinese tourist with a camera looks skyward and sees Thor for half a second. I'm talking about the real mm. stories. With perspective and analysis. The whole schmear. And for this, what I need is a new point of view. I want your point of view on other people's stories. I want your stories. Ben Urich will write the stories. You'll just be the stories. Or huh. be there for the stories. We're buying your brain. So on top of saying the word story is just way too much in that paragraph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, under yeah, yeah, I understand yeah. it's done for emphasis. I think, it was, I think it was done a little too much. Uh, she's like a new consultant now, right? Like, so that's is... what that is? I'm trying to figure that out. Is he just saying he's going to put her on payroll and she can hang around? Like, what's the fucking deal here? Basically, she's supposed to be like an analyst and a consultant. And she's supposed to be like the stepping stone into the world of superheroes because she has a connection to them. So Jessica Jones was a character created for her series, alias, a.k.a. Jessica Jones. She never existed before, but she came to be as, like, a washout superhero who was, like, a one-time Avenger on, like, a mission or whatever and just, like, couldn't hang. And in her series, she was, like, a super-depressed alcoholic who was battling her own demons. George, I've seen the Jessica Alba show. I get it. The Jessica Alba show? Yeah. Yeah. Alias. It's good. (laughs) They're not related. I'm pretty sure. No, Jessica Alba, that was, uh, oh, God. What was, was it? Was it not Jessica Alba in Alias? No, it's Jennifer Garner Jennifer in Garner? Alias. Jennifer Garner? Oh, fuck. Jessica Which Alba show, Dark Angel? Dark Angel, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Neither one of them related. Never mind. Way Which off. is weird, because you think, uh, God, I was so excited for Dark Angel, because it was James Cameron. Man, I was excited for Dollhouse. We've all fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jess is in for the job, but she has demands. She wants health insurance and a contract that guarantees stability. She tells him that she's pregnant. 
Jameson figures out it's Luke Cage's and awkwardly as fuck asks if she's keeping it. Since she is, he wants the exclusive of the story and the birth announcement. He tells her that Ben needs this. He's in a rut, but she's the star of this venture going forward. Is it a, it's is it okay if a prospective employer asks you if you're keeping your baby? Mm. Probably not, right? I feel like that's uh, something that would make me uh, quiver by hearing something that happens at Amazon. Like, <laughs> okay, it sounds yeah, like an fair. Amazon executive story, not something that uh, is professionally okay to do. That sounds fucked up. Yeah, like, I understand she hasn't technically signed any paperwork yet, so she's not subject to, like, the same protections that HR provides as someone who has signed paperwork. But still, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. Oddly, I... progr- oddly progressive at the same time, but also weird. Yeah, it's a little intrusive. Yeah, that, that's the best word, yeah. Um, and uh, definitely sounds like he's making her, like, potential job offer uh, subjective to whether or not she's conditional. going to be having it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Conditional, conditional upon the to, baby happening, yeah. Yeah, which is messed up, but... We know women, they love getting pregnant so they can stay out of work, you know? I, that's I just, that's Jessica, <laughs> Jessica Jones in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> Always an abuse in the system. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiot. We, we know that's not true, just in no. case, listeners. Okay. Uh, at a bar, Jameson is selling Yurik on the pulse, and he's super into it. Uh, through dialogue, it's revealed that Yurik has been in the doghouse, but this opportunity is exactly what he wants. Why is he in the doghouse? Because he knew Daredevil's secret identity and didn't report it. Jenna tells him because of that, he will, quote, resent you until the day you die. But they're on speaking terms again, so that's that's something, that's improvement, that's progress. Fucking narc. I, okay, so I hate to sound, like, I, I feel like I'm just, like, a spokesperson for Brian Michael Bendis at this point, but he was <laughs> writing, he was writing so much at Marvel in the early 2000s, and that's the mid-2000s, fair. and, like, the later 2000s. His Daredevil series is, like, incredible. There was a couple, like, it started with a Kevin Smith story, Mm -hmm. and then I think he did two stories. I think he did, like, the first, like, 12 issues or something, 14 issues, something like that. And then it goes into, I think, a David Mack story, and then it goes into a Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack story. Then someone else comes in and does a bit, and then Bendis comes back full-time with Alex Maleev on art. Okay. And that story, when it's Bendis and Maleev, is just incredible and david mack is like one of my favorite like living comic book artists the dude just does crazy like mixed media watercolor with like newspaper collage and like block uh wood printing and stuff like he just makes like some of the most interesting looking shit david mack you said yeah i'm gonna look it up later good good stuff um he created the character echo uh, maya lopez as seen on the hawkeye show so he's uh oh always creating and leaving his thumbprint on the Marvel Universe in a really cool way. I thought we were cool talking way. about the dolphin. We are not, no. Okay. Uh, no, this is Echo with an H. Or uh, with, a H, with a H, as my British friends would say. Or an Ache, as my cousins would say. And that story about, like, uh, you're sitting on Daredevil's identity is, like, just incredible stuff. And my favorite part about those Bendis books is, like, he doesn't actually, like, overwrite what happens. So you just get to see Alex Maleev's cool digital hybrid art. And it's just like a great noir story about Daredevil trying to keep keep low after he's been exposed. Good, It's a it's a good story. No, yeah, that sounds great. I never I've read that uh, Kevin Smith run and a little bit of um, what whoever wrote the, the series after that. Uh, but I don't know if I ever got to Bendis's run on Daredevil. So I need to check that out. Pretty good and reads pretty quick. Um 
so they're on speaking terms again, which is dope. Uh, Jameson praises Jess a little, but then he calls her a washout, a B-tier hero, and that the pulse is all about Ben. So he basically did he did to Ben what he did to Jessica, saying that like Ben's a wreck. He he needs the pulse, but like you're the star of the pulse, and now he's saying the same thing to to mm-hmm. Ben about how like she's a wreck. I don't trust her, but I trust you. Like this is all about you. So he's a real smarmy piece of shit. Yeah, sounds like I love it. him. I love him. He's great. Uh. He says that the first story has to be big. It has to save the paper. By nightfall, the body in the reservoir is finally recovered. Detectives on the scene recover a waterlogged ID of a brunette woman. And they confirm that she didn't drown. She was killed by falling from a great height. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, that's how it always goes, right? Yeah. But there's no buildings around. Oh, he fell out of his room naked. Oh, nobody knows how he (laughs) fell 50 stories. Uh, he fell into his closet and wrapped a belt around himself and his pants came. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> this is just the wire. <laughs> uh, issue two opens with a brunette woman who looks exactly like the recovered waterlogged ID from the end of the previous issue. She's in the Daily Bugle and she is freaking out because she thinks she's about to be fired. Her name is Terry Kidder and she looks like a cross between Terry Hatcher and Margot Kidder. Mm. Two women who played Lois Lane in live action Superman productions. So I think that's a little nod from Ben just from there. Okay. Uh, Even back then when he was like the hottest writer at, at Marvel, like I think he was exclusive at this point. Uh, Like he signed like a contract, not like, not like they're going steady, but like business thing. Uh, He he's from Cleveland, which is I think where the creators of Superman are from. And he's always said that Superman is like his favorite hero. And it's like the one character he wants to write. So I think that's where we got the name Terry Kidder from. Okay, that makes sense. Did Bendis yeah, ever he, write Superman? He did, actually, yeah. Okay. I I thought the story was pretty good. Um, I don't know, everyone sort of dunked on it. Everyone thinks Bendis is like kind of washed at this point. Yeah, I've heard that. I've, I've definitely... I, still, I still like his stuff. I don't know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, like was that the best comic book I've ever read? No, but it's okay, because there's going to be another one in like three weeks. So like, uh, it's, it's fine. You know, like there's there's always another comic even if you read a bad comic it's you, right. you don't have to wait very long to get the next thing and it's not a huge time investment <laughs> no it's not especially in like with digital services now it's like not even like a big like monetary investment like, right right marvel limited is 70 dollars for like an entire year which is kind of insane yeah no i mean especially if you're buying multiple comics or just like trade backs or whatever paperbacks um yeah it's it's definitely definitely worth it well i read 19 issues of a wolverine comic i'd never read before because <clears throat> i'm trying to get up to a wolverine story i want to cover for for this show but i never read this uh the couple stories that happened before it and so i'm like doing the math i'm like well that's 60 bucks right there like if yeah. i were to like track if i were to track down those issues that's like yeah. basically an entire year of marvel unlimited anyway right uh we're not sponsored <clears throat> by marvel unlimited that'd be cool <laughs> but no we just uh like the product no, we're sponsored by DC. Yeah. Don't be stupid, George. <laughs> They'll kill us for this. So Terry Kidder, uh, she just left her old paper for the Daily Bugle because of the prestige it carries, but she hasn't had anything to write for two weeks, and she's afraid that she's about to get canned. She talks about Jameson being crazy, but she clearly respects him. She makes the same comments about people not reading that he did in the previous issue. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think she's a clone. It sucks that we know she <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. In a <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something from a comic. 
Uh, so it sucks because she really just sounds like a chip off the old block. Like she sounds like, you know, Jameson's like second coming, but we already know she's dead. Uh, she meets with Cat, Cat Farrell. Um, Cat Farrell? Oh God, I didn't even, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> I did not even put that together. Son of a bitch. Uh, yeah, meets with Cat Farrell. K-A-T-F-E-R-R-E-L-L. Like Will Farrell. Son of a bitch. Oh, I'm, that's so I'm good. Loose. I've lost a step, Fabio. I didn't even pick up on that. This is a great book. Keep going, please. Cat is another reporter at the at the Bugle. Um, she meets with Cat and tells her for the four o'clock editorial meeting she's pitching the most powerful people in the city and wants to use the Avengers. Cat says that's a bad idea, but before she can say why, she points out Jameson keeping Yurik in the doghouse for sitting on the Daredevil story. Uh, at the meeting, Jameson goes absolutely ballistic on Kidder, saying the Avengers is such an obvious pick for the list and that they can buy an ad if they want more free press. He then kicks her out of the meeting. Later that day, Kidder gets a call saying that Spider-Man and Vulture are fighting down at Port Authority. She's in awe of what she's seeing. These two mythic figures fighting in the New York skyline, and she looks inspired. Just as she's comprehending the weight of the moment, a TV crew begins its broadcast, and she's disheartened about working at a newspaper in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. The next day, she's getting lunch with her friend Cheryl, who works at Oscorp. She cracks a joke about how she'll be missed when she's gone and makes a one-off comment about how she's screwed unless there's something going on at Oscorp accounts payable that would make a good front-page headline. Her friend freaks out. What have you heard? She asks. Why did you ask me that? Kidder digs deeper. Her friend says it's not as simple as tax fraud. People are missing. Some intern from accounting, a doctor from R&D, and a security guard have all gone missing in the past few weeks. Her friend leaves, and sitting there, Kidder decides to roll the dice. She calls up Norman Osborne's office and sets up a meeting, saying that she's doing a piece on the 100 most powerful people in New York, and she wants to interview Norman. After some shuffling, she manages to get a meeting with him later that night. In his office, Norman seems confused as to why he'd be on a list of most powerful people in the city from a paper by Jameson, but he rolls with it. He starts talking in gross CEO marketing talk. He talks about how big Oscorp is, over a thousand people. Kidder brings up that a few of them have gone missing recently. Osborne snaps. He goes from cool-headed CEO to lunatic. Ego, he says. You got me with ego. From there, he starts beating the shit out of Kidder. Oh, Before fuck. long... Before long, we see him holding her limp body, and with bulging, alien-looking eyes, he says, I own your soul now. Dude, the I didn't know Green pa- Goblin went that hard. God damn. Oh, he goes, this is fucking tip of the iceberg. Holy <laughs> shit. The next page has the Green Goblin carrying her bound body over Manhattan and throwing her into the reservoir she was Jesus. found in the first issue. Wow. Uh, that's issue two, yeah. That's heavy. Yeah, that's um, that's not even the worst Norman Osborn story from around this time. I, um, do you know who Gwen Stacy is? We're gonna talk about her for a second. Yeah, yeah, a I know who bit. Gwen Stacy is. There Spider-Man's. was like an there was an implication in the Amazing Spider-Man series at the time that like Norman Osborn was actually having an affair with Gwen Stacy behind Peter Parker's back, hmm. and that Gwen Stacy was actually pregnant with Norman Osborn's child. How would this like what how what would substantiate a comic uh conspiracy theory? What do you mean? Like like what do you how would you prove that this is even like that this is what it is? Like that that she would have had a baby with 
Well, it was Osborne. happening in the it was happening at the time in like the main Spider-Man book. So it was like happening like in flashbacks and Peter uncovering current elements. We're not going to talk about that story on this podcast. I don't think it's very good. I don't think I think there's a lot of good stuff about the J. Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. Spider-Man book, but I don't think it's like super critical to the main narrative going on at Marvel. So we're not going to talk about there's one issue where it talks about Spider-Man as like an Avenger for the first time. And then it really ties into Civil War. So we're going to talk about that. And then that's pretty much all the Spider-Man we're going to talk about because he was pretty isolated after that. And he's Um, a little annoying. and And he's a little annoying. Um, but, uh, it was actually recently undone through like retro active storytelling, I guess. And like the current amazing Spider-Man book. So it took them 15 years, but they finally got to undo the whole Gwen Stacy, Norman Osborn affair oh, thing. Okay. So it was something that they had written then. It was something that was written and published. Oh, and... I see. I thought this was like a fan theory. Oh no, no, no. This was like an actual, like, Wow. God, was it Deadly Sin or something? It's it some fucking incel wrote that book. My apologies to whichever incel wrote it. The guy who created <laughs> Babylon Five. Uh, he's actually a really good comic book writer. Okay, but that okay. was that was a that was a miss. That was a swing and a miss. Ooh, strange. That came from heartache. <laughs> Issue three is the first book in the series to have a recap page. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and I'm just pointing this out because I think the recap page is really neat because it looks like an actual like newspaper column. It's got oh. like the uh, two and a three quarter inch margin and uh, it's got, got some photos and, you know, it's got like the titling and stuff. I don't know. I just paper tears cool. a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crossword on the back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Issue three opens. Gathered in a large meeting room, the entire staff of the Daily Bugle looks at Jonah who can't find the words. Robbie Robertson fills them in on what happened to Kidder. Quote, her family's flying in tonight. I want to be able to look her mother in the eye and tell her exactly what happened to her daughter. You are, without question, the finest investigative reporters in this city, and you'll cast a net so wide and meticulous that no one could escape it. This story will be told and told well by us. He assigns the story to Kat and Ben and wants results ASAP. In a cafe, Luke and Jessica are doing that cool thing that couples do where they fight without fighting. He's happy she got the job offer, and she is too, but he's certain that Jameson is going to use her and toss her to the side. Jess starts to get insanely emotional and admits it's a pregnancy thing, but she can't stop it. Luke immediately caves. He apologizes and reminds her that Ball's in her court. He's just skeptical of her boss, but not of her. They're talking about an abortion, right? No. Oh, okay, okay. Thought you meant like it was up to her like to keep the baby or not. <laughs> Oh, no, no, the, no the, it's up to her to, to keep the job or not. Oh, I see, I see. I thought she was just like, I'm sick of these emotions from this damn baby. Oh, no, no, okay. no, sorry. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm glad you asked. I didn't know if that was a. Uh, no, I'm just a dumbass. In my, in um, <laughs> okay, so, this, so who, who is uh, Jessica Jones currently working for? Is it? Uh... She's currently working for the Daily Bugle. Okay, so this is just like a side project then. That she would get promoted to then? So it's not like a hiring, it's a promotion? Uh, no. Sorry, I don't understand the question. She's, so, she's, just, get, she's just getting lunch with Luke. Like, she has the job. No, with the yeah, people. yeah. But, oh, okay, so she took the job with Jameson then. It's yeah. cemented. But now um, Cage is like, on the, like, is like letting her know that she doesn't have to do it. Yeah. Okay, got it. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just too Jam- late. She already took the fucking job, Luke. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It just Jameson just like gives superheroes kind of hell in in this world, and so like everyone's just like, no one really likes him or trusts him because all he does is like badmouth him. Yeah, that's fair. No, Jameson sounds like a major piece of shit. Yeah, he is. I love him, but yeah, piece of shit. Uh, you'll like this. Back at the Bugle, detectives are inspecting Kiddo, uh, Kidder's cubicle. Ben tries to work with the detective, but apparently the Bugle gives the NYPD all kinds of hell on a regular basis, so the detective doesn't want his help. Hmm. And anti, Anti-cop, apparently, at the at the Bugle. Or at least Yurik is. Interesting. It's weird, because, like, they're so, like, are they just, do they just hate all authority types? Is that, this is like, some kind of weird libertarian shit? But, like not 2020 libertarian like maybe like 90s libertarians maybe um it's weird because there's uh i'm going to talk about this a little bit later but there's like a, a preceding series to this one that sort of like set the foundation like it created it's the series that created cat Farrell, and um mm. she has a line in it like she hates superheroes but she's covering superheroes at the bugle mm-hmm. and she's trying to get promoted to the crime desk um and, like, her exact words are, like, you'd think after 9-11, like, the city would know who the real heroes are when she was talking about, like, cops and firefighters. And she was talking about, like, her disdain for superheroes. So it's interesting that um, Yurik, at least, like, you know, dunks on the police all the time. Yeah, it's interesting. But Very I guess it makes sense. I mean, like, these, well, these heroes are filling a need, right? Like, granted, there's super villains that like you know I, I wouldn't expect like a 45 year old cop to be able to take down like electro or something you know but i don't know like these superheroes don't just stop super villains they also stop bank robberies they stop carjackings they, they stop like all this stuff and so it's one of those things where it's like oh the people are rising to meet a need that the state is not meeting right mm-hmm. like they're filling the void so it's one of those things where like do they just think cops are worthless because they can't even stop like regular crime. I'm sure it's like, it's, it's a little bit of both. I I think that there's a really weird um, and interesting like viewpoint into like this, the psyche of like somebody that would go out and fight crime, like a vigilante. And like, clearly that means that the state is not providing enough force, enough people if there's loads of crime. Right. Cause that usually Mm -hmm. causes desperation. Um, So, I mean, they're kind of like definitely fighting the, the uh, symptom or the disease, you know, instead of the symptoms. Um, But I think that uh, part of it is like they, some of them do work with cops, like Spider-Man loves like handing them off. Um, But you know, the the more that these superheroes start jacking up, the more villains are going to jack up. Cause that's just the way it is. Like in real life, I'm assuming where it's like, you know, they, you give them weapons. Now everybody else is going to want the same one. Yeah. Shit. What's that line at the end of Batman begins? He's like, we're, uh gordon is talking to batman about escalation yeah and he is like uh you know we we wear armor vests they get get armor piercing bullets and now we've got you so what comes next and then he pulls out like the joker calling card and it's just like oh shit yeah like is 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 super villainry a response to super heroism is super heroism a response to super villainry yeah, and I think there's probably some good books about that. I'm sure there's some good comics out there that re- take that that take that to uh, to point in the story. Yeah, uh, I can think of a couple. I'll I'll start uh, making a list. Yeah, I I know there's like White Knight where uh, uh, 
Joker kind of gets a little bit more of his revenge, like through legal battles, which is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right, sorry for the the detour, listeners. Uh, back to the pulse. Um, Cat goes to the morgue and gets some good dirt on how Kidder died. Her coroner friend tells her that she had a whole bunch of impact wounds, so she was dropped from an insanely large height, but tells her that the cause of death was strangulation from large male hands. Reconvened at the murder scene, Cat, <laughs> Yurik, and Jess try to piece together what they know. The list of suspects is still too long. And they're worried that if it's a flyer responsible, they'll have to call S.H.I.E.L.D. And if they do, they will lose the story. Back at the office, Yurik goes to Cat's cubicle and finds a new phone message from, get this, Kidder's friend at Oscorp, the whistleblower Cheryl, who leaked the missing employees to Kidder in the first place. She asks Kidder to forget everything she said about the missing people. She was drunk and talking out of turn. With that, Yurik's brain gears start turning and he has a Kaiser Soze epiphany when he realizes the stories, including the story he wrote, are true. Norman Osborne is the Green Goblin, and he's responsible for Terry Kidder's death. He immediately calls Peter Parker, former photographer for the Daily Bugle, and asks to meet. Now is issue three. I find it really interesting that they know it was large man hands, considering that they have She-Hulk in their universe. Like, she's got big-ass hands. <laughs> like, they, like once you have people that look like She-Hulk, like, and regular Hulk... <laughs> like i i don't think i think you gotta gotta rule out if it was a dude or not like it could be anything it could be like yeah, fucking some weird cheetah dude we don't know we're... <laughs> like, why is it yeah how do we know it's not like the tyrant's son you know like the rogue son who just went around and yeah there's all kinds of crazy large women out there you don't have to, you don't know unless his hands emit dna that were stuck to her throat anyway so she's dead um i don't know because like sorry we were talking about csi earlier and like one way they identify uh if it's like a, a man's remains or a woman's mm-hmm. remains i think is like based on like the pelvic bone right right, it's just right. Like, one has to be like small or large enough for like a yeah. baby to pass through right yeah exactly yeah it's, i think they're also tilted a little bit differently yeah yeah and so like i'm wondering like huh is there something in fingers that like you can use to judge sex but mm. like at the same time like I don't know. I think you're right. I think in a world with She-Hulk, I think in a world with... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we don't just, you know, make just that blanket statement. And just immediately fact. assume. Yeah. I mean, he's right, but yeah. He's right. Turns out he's right. <laughs> Turns out he's so, right. This is good. Good investigator. Um, okay, so this is uh, issue, the end of issue three. How many issues is this? Five? Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're heating up basically to this murder case then yeah all right all right all right all right uh issue four opens with yurik sitting at his desk looking at a book he wrote called legacy of evil with green goblin on the cover Hmm. he looks beside himself in disbelief and disgust jess is also in the office and she isn't sure what to do so she calls luke and tells him that she isn't sure what to do she tells him she had a dream about her kid and that she knows it's a girl because of that dream Spoilers, uh, she's right. They totally have a girl. Um, Luke bounces off the call when he sees a drug deal happening because that's sort of his thing. Oh my God, he's like, I gotta cash in. This is my fucking time. I robbed the drug dealers. He Some normally, as far as I've seen, like he normally just like doesn't want them selling drugs near kids and in elementary schools. Like I'm not saying it's like Amsterdam in The Wire. Yeah. 
but like I, I he mostly protects kids from from drugs does he ever build any like resources does he ever like invest that money into anything other than his bar that i'm not entirely sure i mean like i'd I like to see a does... center go up you know like, he, he, he doesn't have center. a bar he doesn't have a fucking bar in the comics um i don't know uh no i mean like he he joins the new avengers eventually like on the pretext that like they'll do stuff differently and to his credit like they do do that a couple times and then they become villains after civil war spoilers so uh and he's on that side so i mean he's kind of like a little bit more of like a chaotic neutral a little bit or like lawful lawful neutral lawful evil lawful evil lawful yeah that's that's probably true good intentions yeah fucking on the on the roof of the daily bugle yurik meets up with spider-man who's amazed and incensed that yurik has figured out that peter and Spider-Man are the same person. He asks how, and besides being insulted that an award-winning investigative journalist wouldn't be able to figure it out, he lists how. One, he's the only person who's been able to get a half-decent shot of Spider-Man. Two, because a million of the photos were blurry and one was good, he knew it was autofocus. Three, he often smelled like soot. Four, Matt Murdock would also smell like soot. Five, Peter Parker knew that Murdock was Daredevil. And six, Yurik knows that Murdoch is Daredevil. Why the fuck did Daredevil smell like soot? Because he's always pulling people out of fires and shit. Damn. Yeah, he's uh, a good guy. I never, I never heard of that. Uh, that happening to like, I never thought about that as with superheroes. What they must smell like from all. Oh, well, it makes that. sense. I mean, when was the last sense. time you went to like a, a bonfire? Yeah, no, I get it for sure. Shit yeah. sticks in your hair, your beard, everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just I, never gave that I, any thought. The dog jumped on me the other day as I was like playing video games and drinking some scotch, and I yeah. just smelled like scotch for like an hour because I spilled it all over my pants. Yeah, and you didn't change them, so that's just how you smell now. Yeah, I am just, I am scotch. Yeah. Uh, he apologizes for putting Peter in this position, but it's important and about Osborne. He asks Peter point blank, and Peter confirms that Norman is the Green Goblin. In a moment of complete vindication, Yurik screams, I knew it! God fucking damn it! He sued me. I said in a book, I showed insurmountable evidence that he was a Green Goblin, and he hit me with a legal shitstorm. I'll never get out from under it. I don't make a lot of money. He crushed me. My book publisher threatened to sue me. They had to pulp the print run. Osborne, he bought part of the bugle out from under Jameson. It knocked the wind right out of me. I haven't written anything worth a damn since all of this, and I was right. Interrupting his tirade, Peter puts everything Yurik is going through into perspective and says, yeah, and you know that he threw my first true love right off the George Washington Bridge and killed her, right? Like, right in front of me? So, shut the fuck up, okay? (laughs) But he took something I liked. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. Yurik is a bomb fucking reporter and immediately knows he's talking about Gwen Stacy from Amazing Spider-Man 120 and 121 from all the way back in 1973. Super important story to to characters mythology. Um, yeah, it's just fucking annoying. Old, it's like it's I like when I say I have allergies, and someone's like, "Yeah, I had a stuffy nose that one week." Like it's not the same when you have them all year round. Like it's the same. It's the same thing. It's like saying you, that your arm hurts when you know to like somebody with no arms. <laughs> It's not are right. you Peter? Are you Peter in this analogy? Yeah, I'm saying it's not right that they're fucking shitting on 
ever on the Green Goblin when Peter had his actual girlfriend killed. Okay, all right. Um, do you like reading older comics, like from the sixties and seventies? Um, I've read some of them. Uh, more X Men than most of the other ones because I feel like I don't really, I can't really keep up with some of the the, the beat of the older comics. Um, yeah. But I did read quite a bit of uh, Claremont. Uh, I think those ones probably hold up the best, to be honest, because they don't really, like really reset the status quo at the end of each issue. Like they actually like tell like a continuous story. Uh, that said, like, oh man, I don't, I don't know if I can go back and reread. Like it's one of the like I'm glad I read. They made these reprints volumes called Essentials back in the early 2000s, where it'd be like 15 to 20 issues, just like black and white print on like phone book style paper. And that was how I read like a lot of old X-Men and a lot of old Spider-Man and Captain America and like yeah. all this shit. But uh, I don't know if I could go back and reread it. Yeah, that's fair. I uh, did a lot of torrents when I was a teenager and <laughs> um, which I think is beyond. Yeah. I, fuck, I forgot how old I was, George 32. Um, but yeah, that was a long time ago. I can get away with it now. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I read a statute bunch of, of comics. Statute of you're good yeah yeah plus crossing state lines i think that that clear clears out all crime uh yeah 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 they're they're only looking for you in connecticut right right (laughs) yeah or not connecticut not that you lived in connecticut i'm not trying to give away personal details i'm sorry yeah i don't know what to do with this so like if if somebody was like here you can have my social security have fun i'd not know what the fuck to do with it would i apply for jobs (laughs) and just have two jobs as two different people and just live out a weird fantasy i don't know what the fuck i'd do with that power (laughs) I think I think you do that. I think you open a credit card or two, maybe a. That's boring. Maybe, a, maybe a nice Roth IRA. The Just, debt uh, would eat me alive, George. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yurik judges Peter for knowing that Osborne is the Goblin and letting him get away with it, and Peter asks what he's supposed to do about it. Norman is sick to the point where the Goblin is literally a different person. Is he supposed to kill him? More people think Spider-Man is a villain than Goblin, and since he's so rich, he won't go to jail in a million years. Like, what's he supposed to do, Yurik? fuck like what, what do you want put him in jail put him in jail uh but something about this is hitting peter different he says quote if this ends up being for real if he's just murdering people if that's the case well this is it then this is where it has to stop i mean it as far as it has to go that's how far i'll go i mean it ben if this is what it is we can't let this go he assures ben <laughs> that it wasn't a trust thing that he didn't tell him the secret identity before swinging away that's like the one complaint um, I think is like fair about Bendis is that like he writes really like natural sounding dialogue. But that said, like a lot of people just sound like naturally fucking stupid. So like, I don't like he really just said the same thing eight different times in like one exchange. Yeah, that sounds like how I talk. Yeah, and so I don't know, I like Mark, Mark Bagley is like a pretty good comic artist. So it's just one of those things where it's like, why do you want to cover up his art with uh, you saying the same thing? Eight different <laughs> times? You know what I mean? Also, um, so like, let me get this straight. Uh, the the Green Goblin, known yeah. for doing lots of murders, yeah, civilian murders, lots sure of does. Yeah. Uh, state officials, um, yeah, yeah. and then just killed one chick, and now they're like, well, up in arms, and they're like, well, this has gone too far. Now he's killing other people that weren't the ones from before. <laughs> like, what was the what was the switch here? I, I mean, did I miss I something? Think, I think the idea was that every other murder he committed was like an attempt to hurt Peter, right oh. or like it was like a, it was like a means to to 
it was like a weaponized emotional effect got it you know and now that he's doing but, it for funsies yeah we can't have you just getting your your rocks off murdering people right that's only to hurt peter's uh, emotions got yeah it. okay all right yeah uh ben finds kidder's friend the whistleblower at work her name's cheryl and gets her to say oh, they talked about the night kidder died he goes to jameson and all he has are ifs at this point jameson is terrified that if they go after osborne again and they miss he'll take the paper Yurik argues that they have an obligation to report it. Optics be damned when Jessica chimes in and wins the argument. She says, quote, sorry, but one of the most famous men in the city is really this totally evil, crazy serial killer. What's the point of even having a paper if you can't tell everyone that? Isn't telling people stuff like this like the only reason to work here? Did she not it's get the job point. description? <laughs> like, well, she I mean, knows she's, not... she's working for <laughs> Yeah, but she's not a writer, but also, like, she, I think she makes a great point where she's just yeah. like, why would, we, why would we work here? Yeah, but I mean, if that's like after everyone. getting hired at Fox News and being like, wait a second, so we're going to avoid telling people the truth. Yeah, huh. so, like, global war, like, we can't report on climate change, we can't report on global warming. Oh. But it's news. It's like, yeah, but it's not news people want to hear about. You it's knew like, what like, you were doing. Yeah. God damn it. They call the police tell them their findings and the bugle reporters and New York's finest go to Oscorp's office. Jess smells smoke when the door to Osborne's office explodes. And from the fiery splintered door emerges the green goblin on his terrifying, but trusty glider. Issue five opens with Jess getting blasted out the window at Oscorp by one of the green goblins, pumpkin bombs. But thankfully Spider-Man is swinging by and manages to save her. She's terrified she's lost her baby and Spider-Man freaks out what the goblin has done once again and takes off for Oscorp. What's up? Sorry, I didn't use the raise hand feature. It's Uh, okay. (laughs) I was just blown away that Marvel hasn't uh, capitalized at Disneyland like pumpkin spice bomb lattes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Fuck, I gave it away. Now they can have that fucking idea. (laughs) They're going to hear it. All the Marvel's going to hear it. And then for the adults, like pumpkin Jaeger bombs, like oh shit! Well, I don't know. Jaeger, are they bringing that back? I mean, it would make sense. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, but I don't know. Just some like some kind of holiday treat sounds like a also, fun twenty dollar drink. Also, there's something there too because like you just do like a dash of pumpkin, and like if you do like Jaeger bombs, because like Jaeger is just Jaeger bomb is just Jaeger into Red Bull, right? And Red Bull's green. Is it like the like the Green Goblin? It's like piss yellow. It's like piss yellow green, yeah. Yeah. All right. It's like it's like worrisome dehydrated piss yellow right, green. Right, right, yeah. right. Yep. It's like a surge. <laughs> it's more like surge. <laughs> just, just get surge and just call them green goblins. Um okay, so they're fucking dead now, right? <laughs> Cause they just had a bomb go off in their face. Back at the office, Goblin is about to murder Yurik's ass, dead, doing all this crazy psychopath talk. Just as he's about to end Yurik's life, Spider-Man cold cocks him across the face. Spider-Man and Goblin are going ham on each other and throwing all this history in dirty laundry. And it seems super (laughs) intimate between them up in the New York skyline when out of nowhere, Jessica comes flying up and grabs the Goblin's glider out from under him and starts beating him to shit with it. Jessica Jones flies? She can do like limited flying. Yeah. Okay. Um, Norman is falling without it, and Jess yells, No, I'm not done with you yet! And she, like, flies after him as he's falling. <laughs> she grabs him by the throat and starts punching as they crash yes, back down yes, to Earth. Yes. 
when the goblin's glider is remotely flown into Jess's back, knocking her off of him. Spider-Man catches her again, and Norman escapes on his smoking damaged glider. Jess and Luke go to the hospital to get a scan to see how their baby is. Turns out their baby is fine because the baby of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage is tough as shit. Thank God her spine protected that bash. (laughs) (laughs) Her spine is shattered. Baby's fine. Yeah. Luke leaves because in his words, quote, I can't let this go. The next day on the steps of what I think is a police station, Norman's lawyer is doing what the lawyers of rich people do. He tells the press that, quote, the bugle has taken every opportunity to slander and malign my client, and this time it has gone too far. To use this tragedy as yet another excuse to love wild and unfounded accusations is not only totally inappropriate, but repulsive to the memories of the fine officers and Oscorp employees that died during Spider-Man's vicious attack on Oscorp. Now in a town car, Norman's lawyer is begging him for details. We find out he's the mob lawyer who kept Wilson Fisk, the kingpin of crime, Mm -hmm. out of jail for 15 years, and that he can help him, but he needs to know what he's dealing with. The lawyer loses his shit when the car is lifted up off the ground by, surprise, surprise, Luke Cage. Spider-Man shows up and tries to talk Luke out of handling it like this, but before (laughs) he gets a chance to convince him, Norman throws some pumpkin bombs out the window of the car. Norman starts to fly away on his glider, and is tugging at Spider-Man who tried to web him. Luke grabs Spider-Man by the leg, and before he gets pulled to God knows where, he gives him a good yank, pulling Osborn off his glider. uh, Luke knocks him out with one punch, making him the actual original one-punch man. Oh. Back at the Bugle, the news is out. Osborn is the goblin, he's been arrested, and the Bugle and Yurik were right all along. Jameson rallies the troops in the bullpen with a surprisingly rousing speech saying, quote, reporters, listen, people die because of this, including one of us. Let the TV idiots lose the real story because they have five seconds of fireworks on videotape. Every single person that died at the hands of this maniac, every single one, we will tell their story. Now is the end of the pulse. That was the first five issues. That's interesting. So it was like, we need to make ethics in media uh, and journalism. Uh, it's a, it's a about standard. ethics in investigative journalism, Fabio. Um, let's throw in the Green Goblin. <laughs> I like that, like, it ended with just Luke Cage, like, one punching him uh, after grenades going off in his face, and then it was just over. Um, how how visually because i haven't seen this yet how does it look to you like is it is it visually like a does it feel like a wrap-up does this final scene feel like a wrap-up yeah yeah like the final fight the final like let's move on he's in jail we got the green, green goblin Yes and no. It feels like it could be the ending of the series. Like it feels like it could just be like a five issue miniseries because like it ends okay. on such a high note. Yeah. And so it's got like I guess a happy ending, like as happy an ending as you could have after you thought like the super villain killed some more people and like yeah. gave someone a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for that context, ends as happy as it could. Um, but it also is kind of exciting because it's like, okay, what are they going to do next? Like this is the book that brought down Green Goblin. It didn't happen in like the Amazing Spider-Man book. It didn't right. happen in, in like some big event. But it was like this weird book that sort of like came out of nowhere. So it's just like, oh shit! Like what? Where, where are we going next with this? Ignore it. Move on. Is that what happens? Because <laughs> I've... That, no, like... he was he was in jail for a while. Like, oh, he wow. Was, 
he was indisposed of until halfway through Civil War. So, like, he was oh, in jail shit. for probably, like, two, three years. Oh, okay. And this is Marvel years, or is this, uh, you know... This like is real... our, our years, so our years. probably, okay. like, six months, maybe, Marvel yeah. time. And the time doesn't change. Um... Well, it's just... It, it, time is so weird in comics, right? Because this is a five-issue book. This came out on time because it's Mark Bagley, so, of course, it came out on time. Yeah. So it took five months to tell the story, but the story happens over the course of 13 hours, 16 hours, right? Like, Right, right, right. So it's super, super tough to like pinpoint how long a story takes in the Marvel Universe. Um, so that makes Jessica Jones like infinitely cooler, though. I didn't realize story. she uh, was so badass. Like, I knew that she was really strong and shit, but like, I didn't know that she could kick the Green Goblin's ass. That's pretty cool. Yeah, pregnant Jessica Jones. Could yeah, kick the Green Goblin's true. ass. Uh, yeah. Um, this story, uh, the next story. The reason I wanted you to be on for this one wasn't just because I thought it sounded weird when I was recording it by myself, but the next few issues actually are tie-ins to Secret War. Oh, and so it deals with Jessica Jones trying to figure out what to do while uh, Luke Cage is missing. <laughs> while he's off destroying an empire. No, when he's like back and like hospitalized. Oh, that's but yeah, I see. How long was that scene for? See, that's the thing. It's like because that tie-in story know. was like four issues, and so like a year had passed. Four. Yeah. Shit. We'll talk about it. We'll, All right. We'll, talk about well, yeah, it. this was fun. Um, I, I. Uh... I don't know exactly why the Green Goblin was involved, but I get that he was. Um, it just, I just, I, I honestly had no idea what to expect from expect from a Jessica Jones uh, comic book. That's a lot more than I thought. I thought it was more like espionage and like small town, or you know, some like yeah, she's in the city, but like you know, I like, thought it was just like, like local crime. Free- yeah, like freak of the week type. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Like a I didn't Smallville. Know. Yeah. yeah, this that's interesting. I didn't know that she had such a big impact on the uh, Marvel universe around her. It's cool. Well, she was created by uh, God. What's his, uh, I want to say it's in Draku, Mike and Draku, and and Brian Michael Bendis, um, or Michael Gatos. I can't remember who, who the artist was who co-created Jessica Jones. But that was like his sort of gateway, and like he was. Bendis like only told like street level stuff at the time. Okay. So he's doing Ultimate Spider-Man. He was doing Daredevil. He was doing this. Like even Secret War, I think, is like a pretty subdued comic book event, right? Like, you know, they're not worried about the multiverse crashing down. No one's coming to eat the planet. There's no alien invasion. Um, it's dealing yeah. with like, you know, finding the funding for like domestic terrorism and like what happens when it's actually like from a foreign country. Yeah, and most of the comic takes place like in New York, so yeah, it's just told through some flashbacks. So yeah, that's that's fair. That's interesting. And then he ends up taking over Avengers and all that other shit. Yeah, but even then, there's like a couple big stories with Avengers. Uh, but mm. like even then, like I think he does a really good job of like keeping it like pretty tight and intimate. Like uh, okay. there's some big stories that he crosses over into, but like nothing, no stories he tells that are like independent of crossovers really go too crazy. Okay. Uh, this book, The Pulse, I think was kind of based in spirit on a, a book that DC was putting out in 2002 called Gotham Central. 
And uh, that book was like in the Bat family of books, but it just focused on the day and night shifts of Gotham Central Police Department. Uh, let's see. That was done by Greg Rucka, Ed Brubaker, and Michael Lark. Those were like the three big names attached to it. And it went on for about four years, ending with the Infinite, Cross- uh, Infinite Crisis crossover in 2006. But it was just like a new perspective on something very familiar. Okay. And so the pulse follows like a similar ground level view of this big, crazy universe, but never felt as important to other books. It was supporting the way Gotham central did. Uh, it was the next progression of the alias series, a mature Jessica Jones centric book that not only created the character, but offered a new grounded take on superpowers that made it seem less than ideal. And it was also a spiritual successor to a miniseries called deadline, a four issue story by writer, Bill Roseman, artist Guy Davis and colorist Dave Stewart. That book <laughs> created cat feral (laughs) how big of a character does she become i'm hoping i can get some cat feral books uh not the biggest character uh i wanted to cover this because in uh the next episode of short box summary uh a lot of it sort of like stems out of the bugle um but she becomes supporting there the pulse only lasts like 14 issues like it's only around for like a little over a year but what they do is for major events, they um, they create a new book called Frontline. Okay. And so there's like Civil War Frontline, Secret Invasion Frontline, World War Hulk Frontline. And it's basically the big event from uh, Ben Urich's perspective. And I think Kat Farrell actually works with him in those books. But I haven't read those books since they were coming out. So I need to reread those <clears throat> just to make sure she appears. But she's just like a new cool character. Um and uh, the the book deadline shows how she got her job at the Daily Bugle. Uh, we're not going to talk about that book on this podcast because I wanted to like plant a flag and just strictly move forward. Okay. Because it would be so easy to just go back and like, well, to really understand this story, we should go back <laughs> and read this one. Um, I'm going to make an exception for a couple. Like, I want to try. Like, we're doing pretty in depth reviews of like what happens in specific story arcs. But I'm wondering if maybe I don't know. Like, maybe you and I read the entire bendis daredevil run which is like 40 issues and then we just sort of uh you know pull back and and talk about like the the arcs at like a slightly bigger clip yeah no that sounds good um i'm also pleased to see that cat Farrell is searchable on marvel unlimited so yeah might read some deadline comics see uh, what I this weird re- romance comedy is about i started <laughs> reading deadline last night and i really? actually liked it more yeah i actually liked it more than i thought i would okay uh, let's see. I think this show has got like some big wire undertones or overtones, whichever one you want it to be. Uh, again, I know that wire comes up a lot on this podcast, but it was probably like the biggest, coolest TV show you could be watching in like the late nineties and early two thousands. I think it's pretty relevant. Or when I also think there's a lot of during a pandemic also. Oh, or that too. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of Sorkin influence also. Like, I think just like a lot of the characters exchange and like, you know, the idealism and romanticism about the press and all that. I think that it feels very Sorkinian, I guess is what we'll call it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, the art. Um, Bagley, Mark Bagley has been drawing Spider-Man since the nineties. He co-created the character Carnage with writer David Michelini. Uh, he stuck with the character through Maximum Carnage and the Clone Saga, two stories that may or may not get a lot of mileage from fans, depending on who you ask. Maximum Carnage was like a 30 part crossover. Holy shit. And like that seems huge. But then the Clone Saga lasted for like what feels like four or five years. 
like I have the trade collections downstairs and it's just like 12 massive volumes of books. It's just because <laughs> of just all deal- the crossovers. Yeah. Just dealing with the clones and the Ben Riley becoming Spider-Man and all this shit. And then like oh the return God. of Peter Parker. And it just feels like such a fucking mess. Was it fun? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At its moments. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the dude came back to Spidey with Bendis on Ultimate Spider-Man, probably turned on by the idea that Spidey himself didn't show up for the first few issues. He also co-created the Thunderbolts with Kurt Busiek. Who can forget him? A, sh- a show that I think is about to become really relevant in the MCU. Do you know the premise of the Thunderbolts? No, I never heard of that ever. Uh, this new, so like the Avengers and the Fantastic Four and Iron Man and Captain America, like all those people disappeared while they were fighting Onslaught in uh, in the 90s. Okay. And so those those books were rebooted with like brand new number ones, except they took place technically on like a different Earth. And so there was no Avengers, there's no Fantastic Four, there's no Cap, there's no Vision, there was no Thor. There's like none of these characters existed in like the mainstream Marvel universe for like a year. They were just missing. And so this new superhero team showed up and started like saving the day. And they call themselves the Thunderbolts. And everyone's just like, oh, thank God, like new heroes have come to save us. And it turns out they were totally like the masters of evil. Like they were like bad guys wanting <laughs> to be superheroes just to like, you know, as soon as we do this, we'll get uh, access to like UN's infrastructure. <laughs> like we'll, we'll be given the keys to the kingdom. Step one. The, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Step one, be hero. Step two, question mark. <laughs> Step three, pop it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he's, he was kind of a big deal in the 90s between working on Spider-Man, doing that, and then jumping into Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, his art here in the Pulse, I think, is a pretty great example of showing and not telling. He has looser pencils, so it looks more like high-end storyboards that make you feel something without necessarily being told what to feel through narration. Uh, his smiles feel genuine. The shoulders slouch the way they would after a bad day. And Jessica looks pissed as she ever has, taking on the Green Goblin in the sky. There is a real momentum to his drawings that I think manages to keep pace with Bendis's snappy dialogue. And that was that was it. That was the pulse. Uh, I think we're going to talk about the rest of the pulse, not because it's like an important book, but just because I think it's a good book. And, um, you know, sometimes good is more than a good enough reason to check something out again. It doesn't not everything has to be Watchmen. Not everything has to be perfect. God damn, it's perfect. So, Fabio, you didn't read this story. Any any closing thoughts on it? Um, I think that I'm kind of surprised that this is this type of story that Bendis also writes. Um, I didn't expect him to like have such variety. Um, mm-hmm. but it seems like he sticks with this very like political undertone constantly like even in the media and all that kind of shit like he sticks it a lot so i feel like i'm understanding bendis a little bit more than i ever did before just by kind of like finding some of his other work and i didn't see any of this stuff i think in any of his previous work or maybe i just wasn't looking for it but um from the stuff that i have read so yeah it's interesting i'm i'm very curious to read more bendis because of this uh and kind of see what else he has um also well, hey, luke cage don't is worry still kind of an asshole i'm sorry <laughs> don't worry lots more bendis coming down the pipeline turns out he was pretty important yeah um, yeah yeah no this yeah. was a fun story uh didn't expect jessica jones book to go that way so that's fun yeah um all right well we'll be back next week 
Uh, we got special guests Austin Eller and Elijah Steele from the Frameskip video game podcast. I know them. We'll be th- you do know them. We will be talking about Jessica Jones, Jonah Jameson, and Cat Farrell again as we all work <laughs> together to solve just who these new kids running around Manhattan are and why they look like little young Avengers. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you had a good, healthy, and restful holiday. Make sure to rate us on your podcast service of choice and tell a friend about us. And uh, feel free to shoot questions and comments to at purplebird616 on Twitter. If there's something you don't like about the show, please let me know. And if there's something you do love about the show, let someone else know. Let your friends know. Yeah. Or maybe uh, call the president while he's doing a uh, special TV appearance and just give us a quick shout out at the end. Yeah, I mean, the president's not doing jack shit right now, so he might as well take some podcast recos for people. <laughs> no federal response to COVID. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, all right, Fabio, you want people to get in touch with you? Sure, yeah. You can find me at Sabio Fantana. Cool. And Fabio is really good at shooter video games. So if you're looking for someone to uh, to play, I think, what's the one? Uh, Insurgency? Is that the yeah. game you're looking for? Yeah, if anybody wants to play some insurgency um, or just anything, uh, George doesn't like to play with me. So yeah, we I'll definitely don't play. We don't, we don't play like six hours together. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. This has been Short Box Summary, and we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.